You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got quarterbacks that may not be valued the way we think. NBA news all over the place. We got tons of drama happening across the world of sports, but the drama this weekend was in Chicago for the NBA star weekend. And nobody knows it better than our own Sarah Spain. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, presented by Progressive Insurance on Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sarah, we're back together. After It's been a minute. It's been a little been a bit minute. since we've gotten to work together. And I was particularly excited for tonight's show because the WNBA All-Star experience was in Chicago, in your city. You got to be around a, week, a win that was a, ma- a weekend, I should say, that was a massive win for the league. Yeah, it was. And it was interesting because I came out of this weekend energized and excited and saying that I wish that all of the decision makers across all the major sporting leagues and brands and channels were there this weekend. I know they'll be at MLB All-Star. I know they're always there at NBA. There were plenty here. There was tons of brand activations and parties and sponsors and meetings and conferences and conversations, but I wanted them all to be there because for me, the energy was incredible. The passion, the investment to women's sports to these athletes and to the culture was incredible what's interesting is for the people who weren't here what stood out were the negatives and i can't decide yet if that's a good push towards demanding more because we understand what an incredible pivot point this is for women's sports that it could be even better or if that's the lens through which we always view women's sports even in the moments when they're kind of shining and I get a lot of the criticisms and I think a lot of it is the same things that come up with women's sports fits where it's best intentions, best attempt to use far limited funds compared to what the men's leagues work with, but ending up being on a short timeline, right? I talked to the head of Chicago Sports Commission when we had the WNBA All or sorry, the NBA All-Star game in 2020. They had an Adam Silver press conference announcement in 2017 leading up to all the plans that would go into that. The WNBA didn't announce Chicago until May. I think it was May, maybe March. It was this year, right? You're giving people just a couple months to plan events, to, to get venues. That's why the Three Point and All-Star were not at Trust and didn't have ticketed areas for fans to attend. You're, you're asking networks to air it, which is probably why it was at noon, 10 a.m. Pacific. You're asking companies and brands to put together giant events. You're asking people to fly across the country and take family trips. And so I think some of the excuses like fears about gun violence, even though the taste of Chicago was half a mile away with a million plus people outside uh, fall on deaf ears. It's because you don't want to admit to execution issues. And I will get down with that as as something to work on, but I will also let people know that having been there, at all the different events and parties and been surrounded by these people who care so much about this stuff, it definitely felt like we're moving in the right direction. I think Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com. So much of this is about the lens you want to view it through. Like, I I saw some of the complaints about the fact, frankly, that it wasn't on the main network because Wimbledon was. Well, Mm. I I dealt with the same thing on the hot dog eating contest. Like, we just forget that. Like, the hot dog eating contest has been on ESPN1 the last couple of years. This year, it was on ESPN News and then replayed later on ESPN1 because tennis got in the way of it. Like, these are things that happen all the time to events. I think it's just a matter of do you look at it and say, okay, well, you know, that's not ideal, but hey, we make the best of it, or do you want to look at it and say, oh my God, what trash? I say the same thing when people, and and this happens constantly, if you're not a hockey fan, it's easy to look at the All-Star game and say, well, 
nobody's watching it, to which I'd respond, well, relative to the number of people that watch hockey, a lot of people watch it. So everything demands some level of context. So what I saw from Chicago was a weekend where everybody, the, the star power, we talk all the time about the amount of great players there are in the league. It, it felt like they were all there to help the league shine. It felt like it, a star-studded event with a ton of electric energy around it. Like everything you could want from an all-star weekend, I thought as a viewer, it had it. But I also admit my bias. I have a lot of friends that were working and covering it. So I was interested in the pregame shows. I was interested in the whole pomp and circumstance around it. So obviously that creates some of my context, but I think for the league overall, all, the weekend became a great conversation uh, starter for people that may not pay attention to it. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And I'll agree too, my position of, of, of privilege is that I was at the Chance the Rapper Lotto show that was not open to the public. You know, I was at a bunch of parties that I had to be on a guest list for Humble Brag, where I hashtag hung out humble with brag. hashtag Humble Brag, where I had to, you know, spend time hanging out with my best friend Sue Bird and, you know, chumming it up with all the celebs. Um, because of my access to me, the weekend was full of brand activations and sponsors and celebrities and superstars. And I understand that the fan experience was mostly limited to WNBA Live. And then if you could go to the game on Sunday, there were more opportunities that kind of fell by the wayside, either because of poor planning and execution or potentially because of a lack of investment. I mean, Kelsey Plum's trophy has become sort of like the image to represent the larger inequities. It's a little silly. It's not that important, but it does say something when she's holding it up like a tiny teacup in a children's playset. You don't need to do much to make sure that that's not a moment of ridicule. Even yeah, if it's right not the right like, metal, just make it bigger and fake. No one's going to yeah. know except for Kelsey when it's not very heavy. Put something in it so it feels heavier and then tell her later, listen, sorry, we couldn't spring for the expensive metal this year, but we made it real big so it looked good on TV. Like, do that. Like, I'd even send her a different one. for you know, like, right. it, it is funny to me that, that that is one of those moments where you feel like a whole group of people had to say yes to that trophy and just one of them had to be like, wait. Yeah, guys. this is, is gonna look bad, enough? guys. Like, this is smaller is than before. And she's Why are we holding going it so daintily with yes. her hands. Like yeah. it just is like you don't it's such a what do I hands. do with my hands moment. Yeah, right, it, right, it right. Was, that was very, that was very uh, pinkies up. But I will say, like, I also found that I loved being in spaces with people who knew what we were watching. Right. So I'm in rooms with people who are losing their minds over Ali Quigley being the first person ever to win a fourth title in the three point contest, who shows up after saying she's done, has all the pressure in the world on her home court and absolutely slays. Wins first round, crushes in the second round. Her wife is, you know, courtside pacing, losing her mind so nervous, and everybody gets to go crazy afterwards. Getting to see Sylvia Fowles dunk in an all-star game in her final all-star game when she's old as hell and retiring, and then afterwards Holly Rowe says, when was the last time you dunked? And she says, 2008. 2008, mm. people. This woman, who has the most rebounds in the history of the WNBA, her numbers are off the charts, who has never made a three in a game in 15 years of her career, Hits a three in the All-Star game just for good measure. I mean, she just put on a show. And if you know about this stuff, which the people around me did, if the conversations I was having at like an overtime brunch and at a Crown Royal Sue Bird party and at a Jordan event and at Candace, everybody there is on board with all this. And that energy and that passion is there and it's growing every year and so is the investment. So I want to simultaneously, it's kind of like what we talked about with Title IX. I want to simultaneously be able to acknowledge how far we've come and really give respect and do to the people who have worked to continue to build this league and make it better and make everything, you know, higher profile. 
while still holding people accountable for the places that we could get better. There are there is no doubt that there's room for improvement. There's also no doubt that it was a big weekend for representation. And that's you know, you, you've made a strong point to me since we started working together that I hadn't thought about until we started working together about the age of the WNBA. And sometimes when yep. we actually do the math to figure out the age of other leagues, you're reminded of how far we expect leagues to come and how little time we expect them to do it. It's one of the time and investment. Every, yeah. Your taxpayer dollars are not going to women's sports, but they're building stadiums <laughs> for men. Your taxpayer dollars and your politicians are not working for things that benefit women's sports, but it happens all the time for men, and we sort of just ignore it when we ask women's sports to be able to compete. I'm not sure if it's because we work together and I'm just more aware of it. It just felt like this year there was an energy and a vibe to what was happening in Chicago that really made me smile. So I'm, I'm happy for everybody that was a part of it. And you're right. They'll continue to figure out ways to get it better. In the meantime, we're going to keep breaking down everything else going on over the course of the day across the landscape. And that includes some cryptic social media posts quite creating quite a stir in the charm city. We'll explain it all to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The boys of summer spend too much time looking at Twitter. And as a result, we react to absolutely everything that every athlete does. Maybe, though, maybe this one warrants it. I don't know. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You guys can hang out with us all over the ESPN platform. And Sarah, Lamar Jackson uh, posted a picture uh, with, you know, a person with, like, it was a close-up of the teeth with the grill and it said, I need dollar signs, right? So <laughs> uh, he put that on his social media on Saturday. And all of a sudden, everybody's freaking out. Because as we know at this point, Lamar Jackson does not have a new deal with the Ravens. It seems very strange to everybody that he doesn't have a new deal. He's representing himself. And he's going to Twitter. So it becomes a real conversation. Now, he's already said it means nothing. And we read too deep into everything. You buying that? Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I understand why if you are asked a direct comment on the passive-aggressive social media subtlety that you're trying to drop, or not so subtlety, that you're going to avoid directly addressing it. That's why you do it in the way that he did. The same way Kyler Murray didn't take to Twitter to say, I'm taking all of the Cardinals' information off of my social media. He just did it and left us which we, of course, were going to do, to start blabbing about what it means and is he gone and what's the deal. That's what athletes do when the internal conversations either do not exist or are not getting the job done. So Keyshawn today on KJ and Max was saying, no, I mean, he's been talking to the Ravens. There's no reason for him to do this. Yeah, there is. This is what you do when you want the public to continue pushing for what you want, when you want ESPN talking heads to be talking about how much of a deal he's worth and they should be giving him the extension. So 100% Lamar Jackson did that to keep pushing for the contract that he's looking for. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about what the end game is in any – like, you know – at, at some point, you know when your social media platform has power. Like, I know if I say something about the Raiders, it will get a reaction, right? That's just part of what I understand at this point. Uh, you know if you say basically anything that uh, <laughs> right. a whole group of the country doesn't like, you're immediately <laughs> going to get, like, you just start to know these things. You can't convince me that Lamar lives in such a bubble that he's putting a post out and doesn't at least laugh knowing that's going to spin some people up. Even if there's nothing to it, you know you're spinning people up at the very least. And to your point, 
you're possibly continuing to at least put pressure and remind everybody, hey, while these mega contracts are going out, I haven't gotten mine. I mean, if you're Lamar Jackson, uh, we can have all this conversation all day. I feel like this is Dak all over again. Where we're trying to make something really complicated when in, in reality the money's still going to get done. I can't imagine it doesn't right. get done. But if you're Lamar, it at least serves you to continue to put public pressure on people and remind people that you are playing with the deal situation that isn't the same as other quarterbacks that you feel you're as good as. 100%. And again, why anybody would listen to him and let him try to spin this as, no, it's just totally coincidental, uh, is beyond me. Uh, he deserves the money. He deserves the opportunity to continue to prove what he's already started um, proving there. He's an MVP. Uh, he plays differently than some other quarterbacks. But as we've said a million times in the past about lesser quarterbacks, you need a starting franchise QB to win anything in this league. So unless you can present me with a better option that they're going to get and keep and have to pay less, then this is a no-brainer to you. Yeah, absolutely. This is what Jeremy Fowler had to say about the drama that's ongoing uh, about Lamar Jackson on Twitter. I will take Lamar Jackson at his word, and I'm not going to try to interpret what he's saying, but you know, when, when that's put on social media at this time, what is it, July 11th, we're two weeks from training camp when contract talks could heat up. The time is very opportune for Lamar Jackson to post that. So it, it does feel like a message at least has been sent, whether that was unintended or not. You know, this is a player that I'm told has had resolve through this entire process. He's willing to wait it out for the right deal that's commensurate for his skill set as a former MVP. The guy's won 37 regular season games uh, in his career, in, in a very short career. So, you know, the Ravens know they have work to do on this front. They just haven't been there as far as bridging the gap on the money. So they're going to have to get to work on that. Well, and, and that leads, speaking of Jeremy Fowler, who, you know, he can take benefit of the doubt. All day. He could be professional and reporter. That's fine. I'm not going to give him as much benefit <laughs> there. But Jeremy Fowler gets the unenviable task every year of compiling a list of the top tens. And this is the top ten list. Uh, according to executives, coaches, front office personnel, people around the league, not Jeremy Fowler. These are the people that he actually surveys, and he asks them every year to give him the top 10 quarterbacks. And what's interesting about the list, particularly controversial this year, is that Lamar Jackson is in the honorable mention category. Mm -hmm. So you have Aaron Rodgers at one, Mahomes two, Josh Allen three, Tom Brady four, names we're all used to. Joe Burrow rises to five, Stafford at six, Herbert at 7, Wilson at 8, Deshaun Watson at 9, Dak at 10, Lamar in the honorable mm. mention category with Derek Carr and Kyler Murray. Seems a little staggering to me to put somebody that's been an MVP in the honorable mention. Yeah, we're going to get to some good take, hot takes around this list because there are certainly some takes being made by this, but Lamar Jackson is one of them. He's, and let me start by saying, any any conversation around this list first has to try to identify what this list is about. In theory, they were supposed to identify the best players right now for 2022. Not a five-year projection, not a lifetime achievement award. Who are the best players today? How are you going to put Deshaun Watson in there if he's probably not playing? How are you going <laughs> to put somebody like Dak Prescott, who's been good, but like didn't know what time was on the clock or how to finish a game above a guy who's been an MVP. I don't, I mean, listen, I, I think it's very complicated to try to look at this list and say, Justin Herbert, we know is better than Lamar Jackson, as opposed to we're projecting will be great. 
Well, and one of the arguments that people constantly make about Lamar Jackson is that he needs to have more playoff success, to which I sort of, I mean, I sort of laugh at that just because we presume that playoff success has existed for any of these quarterbacks at a high level. And and for some of them, yes. But when you look at Deshaun, Deshaun has... He's been all right. He's been all right. Deshaun, though, that's (laughs) ahead of him on this list. Deshaun has one playoff win at this point. Deshaun's best season was 4-12. and And that, like, just think about that. Like, Justin Herbert being higher on this list has a 15-17 and record as as a starter. So, like, it's a little hard for me to digest the knock on Lamar if the knock is playoffs when I think that's a universal knock you can make to many quarterbacks. Not all of them, but many quarterbacks. The knock is very clearly about wanting to see him through the lens of a traditional quarterback. Pocket passer, right? Having 400-plus yards in a game passing yards um that didn't really move the needle for people but his qbr over the course of the year being just a 50.7 did you know we had a couple bad games at the end of the season he had an injury and i think all of that is fresh and top of mind to people more so than his mvp award and all the other things that he does that nobody else can do yeah, this is where I just say over and over again, I don't care if my quarterback runs on his hands and throws with his feet. If it's legal <laughs> and it leads to a win, I don't care if my quarterback can't throw a single pass the whole game. If it leads to a win, and man, Lamar's got a lot of wins. And in every, like, If you know what his supposed limitations have been in his career and you still can't stop them, and then, I, I mean, yeah. I watched a game where I was convinced that he was just going to run all over the Raiders, and instead he threw for, I think, five touchdowns in that game. Like He can slice and dice you a million different ways. He just doesn't get enough credit for it. At some point, we're going to have to change that conversation because he's about to get paid like the MVP he has been, at least in my opinion. We'll we'll break down this list a little bit more as we go throughout the course of the show. In fact, we're going to good take, hot take, the entire list that we have in front of us because there are some And some wild takes. Some wild takes. At least one wild take on Josh Allen we're going to get to. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a good. I, I, I'm speechless on it, but you'll hear it coming up in the show. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft or damage. Visit progressive.com. Is Russell Wilson good for a three win improvement with his new team in Denver? Vegas thinks so. What do they know we don't? We'll figure it out. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. NFL two-a-days continue. We started at the bottom. We're still sort of working our way up from the bottom. We've got the Broncos and the Seahawks today on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We might not be at the bottom for long with this Broncos team because they picked up Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, in the offseason. So Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post is going to join us now to share exactly what this team could be with Russ. So, Ryan, let's start there. Are they a Super Bowl contender? Is that the realistic expectation for this team this season? Well, first, good to join you tonight. Uh, that should not I mean that should be the goal, but I think the expectations around town are a little more tepid than that because – they know there's some holes on this team, and it's a great division, and this team has done nothing over the last six years. So I don't think Super Bowl bust, but I do I do think playoffs are bust. I do think they have the kind of defense and then the offense that would be spark-plugged by, by Russell Wilson to get one of those three wild-card uh, wild spots. Ryan, you mentioned holes on the team. I think the offensive line is going to be a concern for several teams in the AFC West, but the Broncos are one of them, and they face a bunch of good pass rushers. What's their plan on the line? Yeah, we, we, we've given it several shots for them to reveal that plan, and we've come up empty. And 
you know, one thing they've said a couple of times is we're going to play the five best guys. That answer doesn't really, you know, uh, invite confidence because that sort of means you don't know who those guys are. I think how it's going to end up is Lloyd Cushenberry at center, uh, Dalton Reisner left guard, Quinn Miners right guard, and then uh, Garrett Bowles left tackle. Then right tackle, I think it's probably going to be up, end up being Billy Turner, but it's just I think there's there's not a lot of continuity there. Some of those guys did not practice a lot during the offseason program. It's a new blocking scheme, so I think I think Russell Wilson's mobility planned and unplanned is going to be an asset while this line uh, sort of comes together early in the season. So, you know, with the Broncos, I think there's so much change that you look for where there's consistency. Where do you see veteran play, connections to coaches? Where do you see the people that are going to need to sort of make this happen faster than normally it might with a team that's got a lot of new pieces and new, new staff and new front office? Yeah, I think defensively they're going to be able to win games early. Uh, I would put this secondary up against just about any other in the league with Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson at safety, uh, Pat Sertan in his second-year corner, and then and Ronald Darby is the second corner. Uh, you know, Ejir Evero coming over from the Rams is having his own scheme, but it, it's from the Vic Fangio tree. The players have said it's not going to be that much of a transition, but they expect to put more pressure on teams via their blitzes, which which is not a Vic Fangio staple. So if if the offense is a little slow to fire early in the year while, while Russell Wilson is getting comfortable with his skill position players, I do think this team will be able to stop opponents, especially early on when they play Seattle with Drew Locker, Geno Smith, and then Houston in week two in the home opener. We're talking to Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post on Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz, the other part of the AFC West, seems to be trying to score as many points as possible. I thought... A couple of years ago, the Broncos got the best wide receiver of the group with Jerry Judy. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't really been able to be the impact that they thought he would be. Who is he going into year three? Well, I think he's going to flourish with Russell Wilson. And, and you don't, you know, if you want to make an excuse for Jerry Judy is, I thought he had a great camp last year, high ankle sprain in the first game against the Giants. That derailed him for, you know, two and a half months. And then no touchdowns. Even if Jerry Judy plays 10 games, he should score touchdowns. He didn't last year. Okay, is that the quarterback? Is you know, will he benefit from Russell Wilson? I think him and KJ Hamler, uh, the speed receiver, are going to be the two biggest uh, beneficiaries for Wilson because you know Russell does a lot of things well, but he sure as heck throws that deep ball that plays right into Judy, that plays right into Hamler. So I think Jerry will make a step up this year. His numbers may not be upper echelon elite because there's so many other skill position players, but I do think he'll have a good season. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post about the Broncos as we continue our two-a-days here on ESPN Radio. Uh, you look at the weapons for Russ. You look at his performance last year. Do you see him having what he needs to get back to the quality that we that we saw? And do you think the expectations for him are to return to his peak levels with the Seahawks or that there is a continuation of maybe some of the steps back that he's taken as he's gotten older? Well, you know, if, if you, from an optimistic perspective, you, you see Peyton Manning here uh, 10 years ago sort of had a great second chapter of his career, made two Super Bowls, won one. I think that's what Wilson was looking at with this situation here. Remember, he had that no-trade clause. Uh, he agreed to come to the Broncos for, for his second chapter. And, you know, I think you see a player who is going to be uh, you know, invigorated, also probably have a greater ownership of what they're doing on offense. I think that's become clear already. That was maybe some of the clashes in Seattle were about. So 
Uh, is he a 50 touchdown guy? Probably not, but you know, he can be a consistent, you know, 30, 35 touchdowns. The thing he does, he produces in the red zone, which this team has not done. And he avoids turnovers, which this team has not done in the last six years. They're 23rd or worse in scoring points. So just his presence, his experience is going to help everybody around him. And in turn, I think he'll, he'll continue to have a fine career. Speaking of presence, Ryan, Condoleezza Rice has been added to the Broncos ownership group. What impact does that make to the organization in your mind? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, no impact on the field. Uh, and, you know, off the field, we'll see what the Walton Penner group, who, if they add any other uh, individuals to, to, the, to their ownership and what kind of equity stakes they have. You know, with Condoleezza Rice, Obviously, she's been around football, being a member of that selection committee a couple of years ago. So I think she brings a passion to the game. But also, I think her experience in every other aspect of this world, she knows what she doesn't know. So I think she's going to be a good advisor for football side, for business side. But as she, as she would probably say, she's not going to be making cuts when it comes down to the 53. But they are putting together a pretty, uh, you know, pretty much an all-star roster of uh, you know, secondary uh, stakeholders with this ownership group. Spain and Fitz, we're talking Broncos here with Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post. CBS put together a coaching rankings that has gotten some people talking. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of tough to make a prediction about a coach who hasn't really had a shot yet, but you've still got uh, uh, kind of down the line at 23rd, Nathaniel Hackett. Still above Brian, Brian Dable, Mike McDaniel, uh, above Bulls, Ron Rivera. What do you make of, or I'm sorry, those are the people right above him. What do you make of, of him beating out some of the guys like Robert Sala or Josh McDaniels when we haven't seen much from him yet? Yeah, it, it, that's always an interesting poll for me because you're ranking guys who've not had a game in the big chair. Do you put them above guys who are on their second or third shots? That's probably what, what it is with McDaniels. I, Nate, Nate Hackett. He's going to go as far as Russell Wilson helps take him. And, you know, for a rookie head coach, I think what helps Nate is that he has play calling experience with Jacksonville, made an AFC championship game in 2017, and then having a veteran quarterback to collaborate with that offense. But, you know, I, and I mentioned Ejiro Evero earlier. Um, you know, I think Nate Hackett has, you know, ultimate confidence in E to run that defense so Nate can worry about the play calling and the quarterback position and getting this offense, uh, you know, out of their six-year coma, so to speak. So, um, I, you know, with first-year coaches, the biggest question you always have is how are, how are they going to react to adversity? Because one of the reasons they got a job is that their team won the previous couple of years. Definitely true with Nate Hackett in Green Bay. So, you know, everybody talks about his energy, his demeanor, um, how will he handle a full roster when, when adversity strikes, and it, and it often does early in an NFL season. Last question predict- for you. Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Uh, I was just going to ask if you have a prediction on how the season is going to go. Do you got a, like a win-loss prediction for us? Sure, I'll go 10-7. and seven, And uh, nice. I, I do think they make the playoffs as a wild card. I think Kansas City, their divi- the division is theirs until they prove it, it shouldn't be. I think the Chargers are going to be really good with Herbert in his third year, second year in that system. So um, I think what you're going to find in AFC West is they're just going to knock the you-know-what out of each other. None of these teams is going to get that first seed. I think that's going to be Buffalo. So a tough road for all these AFC West teams this year because they have to play each other twice apiece. Absolutely. It's just an accident that you left off my beloved Raiders, right? Right? Wow. Like that, that was just a misspeak by you. Like you didn't, you didn't mean to leave off my beloved Raiders, right? Well, We're still friends. I, I, want to leave, I don't mention the last place team. Just I don't wow. want to get that, get that much 
Wow. Yes, oh, I love there's it. some shade going oh, on. Oh, you are not there friends some, anymore. You answered that question. Shade going we are going to have there, Ryan. Ryan O'Halloran back midseason to continue this fight. Uh, Ryan, thanks for the insight. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All right, thank you now. You can follow him at Ryan O'Halloran on Twitter. We asked him a prediction for the season. We're going to ask you as well. We've been doing this throughout two a days. I'll put it up on Twitter at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. What do you think is going to be the record for the Broncos? We'll do our other team for the day as well, the Seahawks. Also, who's going to win that starting QB gig for the Seahawks? How much longer will Pete Carroll be around for that team? We'll get to all of that later. But first, someone just received our nation's highest honor for civilians and then was asked if she would like a coloring book on a plane. (laughs) Life comes at you fast. We'll explain it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz back together again. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, the same show. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We asked a bunch of questions on the internet. Feel free to answer them. We've got some questions about our two-a-day teams, the Seahawks and the Broncos, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Hop on. We'll get to those responses a little bit later. And we have a question for you during Quickies today that's going to hopefully provide some good answers as well. Let's get into it. It's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Bad rebrands and renames. This question comes to us because of the Pittsburgh Steelers home venue going from the sort of iconic and well-known Heinz Field. One of those names, Fitz, that I would argue you stop associating with the brand and start associating with just the place, right? I don't oh, yeah. think ketchup when I hear Heinz Field. No, you're a thousand percent right about that. No, Heinz Field is a stadium that's intimidating, scary, and it's the home of the Steelers. It's it's a thing. I don't care about the ketchup. I care about the, the actual stadium. I can't think of it any other way. Yeah, I almost think of Heinz Ward more than Heinz Ketchup right. when I think of Heinz Field. Well, Heinz is no longer. Heinz Field will now be known as Acrisure, I'm guessing, I'm going with, stadium, beginning this season. Terms of the new 15-year deal were not released, but Acrisure, or Acrisure, or (laughs) Acrisure, is apparently Mm -hmm. a top 10 global insurance broker and has a revenue of more than $3.8 billion in just over eight years. Also has the naming rights to an indoor arena being built near Palm Springs. For what? I'm not sure. But they are now the new home of the Steelers, so everybody head on down to Acrisure for Sunday's big ball game. Uh, Fitz, it's a terrible renaming. I'm sure they got a lot of money for it, just like Crypto.com Arena instead of Staples. But it had us thinking about some of the worst renamings, the worst rebrands. Could be bands, could be arenas, could be people. Whatever you got, a product maybe that went from a decent name to a worse one, hit us up in the socials. I'll, I'll throw I'm it up go there with the as well. the whole city, by the way, sir, an entire city. Like my, as much as I love Vegas, in the '90s they decided they were going to do a whole ad campaign branding them as like a place for families. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. That was a bad branding mistake. They had to go back to what happens here, stays here, to get people to realize, hey, don't bring your kids to Vegas. Good God, that is bad. We have a very famous one here, Sears Tower becoming Willis Tower. We also (laughs) did not think of it like Sears the company. It was just Sears Tower. It was always been Sears Tower. We were very proud of it. For a long time, it was the tallest building in the world. 
and now it's Willis Tower, which is just what you talk about, Willis. That we, we don't know what the brand is, we don't know what the company is, and no real true Chicagoan calls it Willis Tower. We still call it Sears, no matter how many years away from it we've gotten. By the way, I've been told in my ear by Devin that it's AccuSure. It's a silent R, which no, makes me better. hate it yeah, so much more. Absolutely. I, that Abs- is not read that way. Why in the world would it be pronounced AccuSure if it's A-C-R? R-I-S-U-R-E. This is I, the I new just, Coke of, of stadium names. Like everybody wants it to is. forget about new Coke in the 80s. Oh, that was a mistake. That's what this is. Bring me I'm back Heinz. I'm just calling it Silent R Stadium. I'm going I'm on a limb, say, <laughs> limb here and saying they're probably not going to sponsor our show anytime soon based on no, this segment. No, shout, oh, out, shout out to AccuSure, but I'm calling you Silent R Stadium. All right, next story. Quickies. Okay, this one had me absolutely dying. Simone Biles who recently was honored with the highest honor for a civilian in America, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the youngest ever to get it, posted on social a photo of her sort of dead-eyed into the camera, and on it said, not the flight attendant trying to give me a coloring book when I board. I said, no, I'm good. I'm 25. Now, she was probably wearing a mask. She is four foot eight. But come on, man. She is a great American hero and a Presidential Medal of Freedom honoree. We cannot be giving her a coloring book. She probably was also sitting in first class, too. Like, you know, I mean, that's, right? that's the thing. Like, she should be offered a cocktail. Instead, you get a coloring book. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And you're like the mask in the side, the, the height makes a difference. But my God, I can't like good for her for having the grace to handle that. I've been around so many people in my life that were thirsty to be recognized that like, it's nice to see somebody that's like, oh, you know, I can laugh it off. Yeah. I, I love that she posted about it because of the joy it brought all the rest of us. And I'm sure she's used to that, right? Like I have a whole bunch of life experiences from being tall. I'm sure she has a whole bunch from being very small. Uh, but that one is, is among the best that I've heard. I just absolutely hilarious. All right. Next story. Quickies. I sent you this today, Fitz, when I saw someone tweet about it. And it's, I'm very interested in this. The WAC Conference, Western Athletic Conference, is changing how it seeds its postseason basketball tournaments by introducing a new concept that's dependent on Ken Palm. It's going to be not conference wins and losses, but an algorithm in addition to that that rewards or punishes based off of performance against all the teams they face in the regular season. So advanced analytics will decide the seeding for postseason tournaments, not just win-loss record and and how you fared maybe some tiebreakers. I kind of love it, but man, will that start some fights, Fitz. Yeah, I love every ounce of this. It's just going to be difficult to explain to everybody every year why it's different. But it makes sense. Like, if all of this uh, statistical information is used really to figure out who's in and out of the NCAA tournament, what seating looks like, why not bring that into your conference tournament as well? It makes a ton of sense. Plus, it does, at least from an analytics standpoint, give you the chance to have everybody properly ranked. I mean, it takes into account everything, not just who you beat, but how you beat different teams and how you played against different teams and all of that should factor into the conversation of a conference tournament where seeding is everything. So I, I love it, and the great thing is the whack can get away with it. If it stinks, then nobody will pay attention to it. If it's great, then all of a sudden you're going to see the big boys look at it, copy it, and it will become part of college basketball. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is sort of going to be like a beta for all the other leagues and or conferences, I should say. We'll see how it works out. It's sort of like when we went from you know the, uh, the old bowl system – 
you know, and everybody complained about the computers and, oh, this is no good. We need actual people to be deciding based on other measures. And now there's just as many fights, if not more than we had before. So, um, you know, you could, you could have a second best record, but be fourth or fifth. You could have an eighth best record, but have, you know, better wins with a higher degree of difficulty and be higher. Um, I kind of love it, but only if the people making that decision, um, do it right. and, And in an informed way, I guess. All right. Next story. Quickies. We mentioned this. Condoleezza Rice added to the Broncos ownership group. Uh, She was the Secretary of State for the U.S. under George W. Bush. She joins the incoming Walter Penner family ownership group, who has uh, just bought the team for a reported $4.65 billion. We know she lived in Denver as a kid. She got her bachelor's degree and her doctorate from University of Denver. She's been on the college football playoff selection committee, which I just spoke of. Uh, chaired a commission in college basketball, one of the first women members at Augusta. Very sporty, Fitz. Uh, I don't know what she'll bring to the table other than it's always good to have, you know, women in leadership positions in sports get a different voice in the room. I also think it's good to have brand, like, people that have immediate respect when they walk in the room. And there's a ton of people that absolutely respect everything she has accomplished in her career. One of the things they talked about with the college football playoff committee is that when she spoke, she was she's such a brilliant speaker that everybody listened in that room. So I think there's a gravitas that she can bring to all of it that gives her the opportunity to really be heard. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. Like we just talked to our guest about, there's been a lot of changes for that Broncos team from the top to the bottom, and the expectations are high. So they're going to have to very quickly adjust to new coach, new ownership, new quarterback, and turn it all into a winning season right away. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, Reminder, get on that social. I put up the question about some of the worst rebrandings. Also, QB list. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sometimes lists can be a gift from God because it just gives us all something to yell and scream about. What do you do when the lists are made by experts working in the NFL right now and it's obvious that they've lost their mind? That's what we're going to figure out now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And if you haven't seen it out on ESPN.com, you should Check it out. Jeremy Fowler does this every year, and it really is a glutton for punishment. This is the Charlie Brown every year, run up to the football, he gets moved, he has to try and kick it. This is the time that you know you're going to walk in and you're going to get kicked in the no-no places, but you still got to do it because his mentions absolutely get defeated every year when he does this. But it is an interesting exercise, Sarah. There's an article out now ranking the NFL's top 10 quarterbacks according to executives, coaches, and players. So they're they're paneling people that are actually working in the NFL right now for teams. This is not a bunch of reporters or a bunch of talking <laughs> heads. This is a bunch of actual professionals that have come up with this list. I think that's an important reminder yes. for all of the chaos that this is, right? 100%. First of all, don't at Jeremy Fowler, but also start to question the so-called experts of this sport when we're getting some of the answers we're getting. I don't know if everybody voted on the same parameters. Well, uh, that's a big part of it, and you know we'll get to that, but we're going to do that the way this show likes to do everything. Whenever you've got a take that might be terrible, we're going to judge it, and we do it this way. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Give him the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. So let's go through this list, Sarah, and we'll good take, hot take. And I think you make an important point. 
it feels like some of the people voting were voting on the past, some voting on the now, some voting on the future. Like I can't decide what they all found as their criteria to figure out, but the list is supposed to be the top 10 quarterbacks for 2022, which simply to me sounds like the, who you think are going to be the 10 best players in the game this year. Yeah, it, it, it was supposed to be. That is literally what it says on the page that Jeremy Fowler allegedly or whoever you know asked and, and reached out to these people said, this is who is going to be the best in 2022. Not a Lifetime Achievement Award, not you know a five-year projection for five years from now who's going to be best right now. And that is why it's so confusing. Well, and that's why the top overall pick on this is a hot take to me. Aaron Rodgers, number one. I love Aaron Rodgers, the football player, fine. I can admit how great he is, no problem. But you want to tell me that he loses Devontae Adams, the best wide receiver in the NFL, according to many, and suddenly there's no drop-off? He's still going to be the best quarterback in the game this year? I have a hard time seeing that. I think that's a good take. Ooh, I think it's a good, good take. take. Yeah, and, and here's why. I get your point, and I agree with that. But you've got back-to-back MVP seasons – I don't know how you can argue to drop him. I understand Devontae Adams, but he's had a lot of seasons with wide receivers whose name you'll never remember, and he's still been fantastic. He did miss a couple guys that that are now coaching in places like Chicago, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think he has shown that he is able to succeed regardless of personnel. So... I think it'd be a hot take to move him out of that place until he proves otherwise. You are right. He always seems to prove me wrong, but maybe this is the year. At this, at number two on the list is Patty Mahomes. And, like, again, I think this is a hot take. Not because Patrick Mahomes isn't incredible, but you can't lose Tyreek Hill and not think that it's going to cause some sort of a small drop-off in production. I still think that Patrick Mahomes might be the most talented quarterback in the NFL today, but for this coming season, I think he's going to have a bit tougher run than a lot of people do because he is minus one important weapon and he's going to be facing a gauntlet in the AFC West. I think this is a good take. I agree with them on this one as well, because while I agree with you that the competition will be more difficult, I don't know that we think at least usually on this show, that wins and losses are a quarterback stat. So even if the Chiefs' record is not the same, I think his play will remain spectacular. I think there were a couple challenges last year that will probably, in the end, cause him to grow. Defenses decided to show him different looks. He wasn't able to have that outlet of Tyreek Hill on the deep ball that he would go to. He had to learn how to better adjust to dinks and dunks that were available to him instead of going for the home run. And he definitely had to learn it to the adjustments that were made in the ultimate losing game that ended their season. They changed the look in the second half, and he was unable to adjust. I think that's in his head and the head of his coaches, and this offseason is going to be huge to pushing him forward and making him even better, which is terrifying for opposing teams. By the way, if we ever start a group, it's going to be called Dinks and Dunks. You're obviously Dinks. dunks. dunks. I'm definitely <laughs> Dinks. There's no doubt about it. We've got that figured out. Spain and uh, Dinks. Yeah. <laughs> Spain and Dinks. Oh, number three on the list is Josh Allen which I think you and I both agree Josh is going to have a tremendous year, right? Like, there's not a lot of controversy here. But all of a sudden, I'm listening to the morning show, and Keyshawn Johnson on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max (laughs) said this about Josh (laughs) Allen. 
I don't believe Josh Allen is the reason that the Buffalo Bills were in the position that they were in. I believe it was the coaching. I believe it was the the acquisition of Diggs through the general manager and Brandon Bean. I like Josh Allen, but I'm just not that guy that all of a sudden look up and because Josh Allen had two good solid seasons back to back that he is just getting ready to be the next guy. Even even though people pushing it that way, I don't I need to see more. That's just me. So just because two-thirds of his career has been spectacular, we're not going to assign him the credit? Just because the team got demonstrably better and became a playoff contender who have been one play away from, you know, going all the way, we're not going to give him the credit. It's Diggs. It, it's Diggs? It's, it's Dayball? Okay. Yeah, this is... This is a wild hot day. Hot as hell. Like, you got to stop drinking earlier at night because it's obviously (laughs) affecting you in the morning at this point. Like, this is especially the same Keyshawn that later in the same show tried to uh, boost up Geno Smith. I'm just saying I don't know what Key's watching right now. Number four on this list, Tom Brady. We good with that? I I feel like uh, Brady being a a top four quarterback next year feels fine. You and I discussed how we are no longer going to presume that father time exists when it comes to Tom Brady. Every single time we say, well, he'll probably drop off now, right? Right. It doesn't happen. Uh, Now, they didn't go on to win it all last year, but they got real close, and there were some injuries that affected their success. I still think that he's the ultimate guy when it comes to figuring out how to win. And I think he'll – I think four is a good spot. Joe Burrow at five, which, by the way, to me, I think he could be even higher. They, yeah. they, they've addressed the offensive line, and he was great last year. I, I'm not saying Burrow's a better quarterback than any of them necessarily above him, but this year I think he could have a better year than those quarterbacks. I, I, I think, think Burrow, it's a great spot for him. I think it's a good take, but I do think that he has the opportunity to move up and past guys like Brady and potentially even Josh Allen if he puts together another spectacular year, especially despite that team uh, you know, not necessarily being expected to perform that way. That's the biggest question for me is how much of a one-off was that versus can they consistently compete again this year? By the way, six, Matt Stafford. Are you surprised? <laughs> like, to see the rise of Matt Stafford is a reminder to every single fan that system matters. Talent around your quarterback yep. matters. The fact that we went from, like, we're out on Matt Stafford to now he's the number six quarterback in the NFL, according to execs, Woo! It's easy to be six big, when you got all that talent. Big numbers, big numbers, 6,000 yards and 50 touchdowns through 21 games regular season and playoffs. But also this was a guy who made a lot of mistakes, and the questions that people had about him were still there. It was a matter of whether opposing defenses took advantage of his mistakes, and thankfully down the stretch for the Rams, they didn't. But he is a guy that still worries me when it comes to his interceptions, which were tied for Trevor Lawrence. And he threw mm. two in the Super Bowl. It is it is wild. We'll get through some more of the list as the show goes on. That's just a little taste of what you can get on ESPN.com. Uh, go check out the top ten quarterbacks there. Good work by uh, Fowler. Paneling. Only paneling. Don't blow him up. He's <laughs> just the messenger. Uh, but in the meantime, we got to talk some NBA. Where the hell is Kyrie going? And what does an imminent DeAndre Ayton deal mean for everybody else? The dominoes are about to fall. We'll tell you about it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We are Acrosure. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I strongly believe Las Vegas is going to be the host of an NBA franchise sooner than later. 
But in the meantime, until that happens, at the very least, it gives us the NBA Summer League, which gives us drama everywhere we look. You can't just hang out. You can't just pick up your phone and make a fake phone call. You have to actually, everything's going to be overanalyzed when you're sitting courtside in Vegas for the NBA Summer League. And that's happening right now with two stars from L.A. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah, I don't know how much you make of it, but there are so many conversations about everything that happens with LeBron now, right? So everything, you know, the fact that LeBron and Russ aren't necessarily being chummy in Vegas seems to be overanalyzed by people, and that gets us to some roundabout path of Russ is gone, we're going to get Kyrie there, all because they're not bro-hugging enough. Are you in on this? I actually kind of am because they know they're being watched, and Brian Windhorst was on with Greeny today and talked about the fact that last season, leading up to that weird-ass Lakers roster that we all said was going to be a problem, and it was, Russ and LeBron were walking around like BFFs. Everywhere you looked, they were together. And now they're at Summer League, not sitting anywhere near each other, not addressing each other, understanding that there's conversation publicly about LeBron's efforts to get Kyrie to the Lakers, which would require Westbrook to get traded. And they know that. They both do. And so if they're acting this way, it's quite intentional. And they're very well aware that people are watching. I think that is a great point, especially in the as much as I, I laugh at the concept that we've now bought into of new media versus old media and this debate. Like NBA players understand that everything they do is going to be scrutinized. So they understand that their actions are being viewed constantly. So I think you're right. And you actually changed my mind on this because at first I thought, look, Sometimes maybe two players just want a little space. And it's like, I'm going to go to Vegas, you're going to go to Vegas. But, God, you hang out with your friends, I'll hang out with mine. I could see that logic. But you're right. There has to be some level of understanding that by doing it the way they're doing, people are going to look at it and say, oh, they're not getting along. And you know that's going to fuel that fire. So it, it, you've got to be ahead of that. And that's why I think it suddenly leads to this Kyrie conversation. But also because, as Windhorse pointed out on Greeny with Mike Greenberg, LeBron understands that there may be only one hope from him, for him, and that's Kyrie. I don't think it's LeBron going to the Lakers and saying, you've got to get me Kyrie Irving. Uh, I have to have Kyrie Irving. I think it's LeBron's opinion, we need to improve. How can we improve? And the answer, the, really the only answer that I can see, is Kyrie Irving. Yeah, that I mean, sort that's of- it. Well, is it though? like you're right? It'll improve you short term, but then you're taking on Kyrie. Like I don't know. It feels like. Oh no! I'm just saying that's what's going on here. This is a oh, okay. team that's out of options and a player that's out of options that look to each other and say, "This is a match made in hell," and it's the, it's all we've got, right? And so I don't. I, I'm not in for long term deal. He wasn't even consistent for a team that he chose and wanted to play for with a player he recruited. So who's to say that he'll be better here? Maybe with LeBron leading the way where it's very clearly LeBron's team and they have a relationship, but how much longer is LeBron going to be around? And now you're stuck with Kyrie as your building piece? Ah, I'm not into yeah, that. And there's also this part of me, like, as the kid that was the fat kid playing dodgeball that was the last one picked, like, you know when you're the last resort for the team that's like, all right, fine, we'll take him. That's just never a good way to start a relationship yeah. for people that have had a contentious past at some point. To be and, fair, though, it's not required that the Lakers sign him for a long-term deal. They could right. just trade for the remainder of this Nets deal and then move on. Um, the question is, will Kyrie be happy? 
I, I shrug at that idea anytime, but particularly if he's going to a team that's also not going to offer him a lengthy term deal. It's Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz, and that's only one of the dominoes we're waiting to fall. The other huge domino everybody continues to look for is what's going to happen with DeAndre Ayton, and it feels like Pacers fans have to be exhausted right now. They, they needed to clear some space. They needed to figure out what to do, but this Ayton deal in, is a domino for everybody, which Brian Windhorst broke down earlier today on Greeny with Mike Greenberg. The Indiana Pacers have shown a lot of interest in DeAndre Ayton in this offseason. They now have salary cap space to offer him a contract. They had space before, but they had to wait until they completed the Malcolm Brogdon trade, which they just did over the weekend. And so effective now, they have the cap space to sign DeAndre Ayton outright to an offer sheet, which we are all waiting on. The league is waiting to see if Ayton signs it uh, as early as today. And so – then if that happens, once that offer sheet happens, it's like crossing the Rubicon. The Suns can no longer trade him to anybody. They can't trade him at all until January 15th. Mm-hmm. And uh, they certainly can't use him anytime soon in a, in a trade to the, um, uh, to, to the Nets. So when you take that off the table, and it's not so much, Greeny, that it would be the Nets taking DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, we know that the Suns are interested in trading for Durant. Durant is interested in playing for the Suns. The Suns don't have right now what it takes to get the Nets to say yes. But if you still had Aiton as a free agent, you still had avenues to open up ways to acquire more assets. Once that offer sheet is signed, it closes that door. Yeah, this is complicated, Fitz, but this is sort of a bit of what happens with the waiting game. There was a thought that maybe Aiton would wait to get signed and traded in a deal that would help Durant get to the Suns, but that has been on pause. So if Aiden can get the max he's looking for from the Pacers, it's a risk to maybe look for a better destination, potentially lose out on that opportunity, and then not see someone else who's willing to make that deal. So if Aiden comes, and it, 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 that's the complication. Should they keep waiting on Durant, or should they figure out the Aiden situation first and then see where the pieces fall with, with Durant? Yeah, the number of, of things that just sort of hang in the air, all based on DeAndre Ayton, it, it is almost, it, it's just part of the, the strangeness of the NBA offseason, but it's kind of funny to me because I while I think DeAndre Ayton is a, is a nice player, I don't think DeAndre Ayton suddenly goes to the Pacers and makes him a championship contender. So it's funny to think that this nice player that means a lot to Indiana, but met not necessarily to every team and every fit, could be holding up so many different elements of what the offseason looks like. And if you're KD, you're just sitting around trying to be patient, but also understanding that at some point you're, you're looking around the league saying, will I have leverage? Like I, I keep looking around wondering if getting a deal done is going to be as easy as some people thought it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, and then there's the complications, which is why sometimes you and I just flat out tell everybody this is above our pay grade. You know, we, we understand <laughs> that like the Donovan Mitchell – you know, can't be traded for the Ben Simmons thing in a Kevin Durant deal because of the kind of contracts that they're on. So Simmons would have to be sent somewhere else so that Donovan could go there and Kevin Durant. There's a couple versions of that that we're aware of. And those kind of specifics mean you can't just say, here's a trade I would like to see. You have to say, who has bird rights? And, you know, what's the mid-level exception? And all the specifics. And so it gets complicated. And then the added complication is when everybody is on pause for this really big piece, like Kevin Durant, that gets everybody sort of waiting and watching for some domino to drop 
to fall, I guess. And then that sets things off. And I'm wondering if Aiton will just say, I don't, I don't want to wait. I'm going to go and get this contract. Every single trade in the NBA needs that kid you hated in high school that was going to walk in right behind you and say, well, actually, you can't do it that way. Like, right. that's, that, right. that's 100% that person. By the way, one complication eliminated for the NBA for the next few years, the NBA Board of Governors is expected to vote to make the play-in tournament permanent. So it had been a year-to-year thing. They've been voting on it every year to figure out if they want it. But now it looks like it is going to become a permanent part of the regular schedule for the league every single year. So we can end that conversation. We're just getting the conversation going around the NFL. As you know, across all ESPN radio shows, we've been giving you two-a-days. They roll on. We're going to get you caught up on one of the more interesting franchises to figure out. What in the heck are the Seattle Seahawks doing? Are they going to be any good? Are they going to tank? We'll get somebody on that can help us figure it all next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, I just want to make a quick addendum. and We have a very deep and sincere apology that we need to make from a previous segment. And that is to the new rights holder of the stadium name in Denver. I mean, sorry, in Pittsburgh. Uh, it, it is not Accusure with a silent R. It is Acrisure. We an are Acrisure. And that is entirely on our producer, Devin, who watched yep. a random YouTube video. He researched the way that Kyrie Irving does the shape of the earth, and he gave us bad information. Sorry. So I will not be calling it Silent R Stadium anymore. I still I like also that, won't be though. calling it Acrisure, I mean... though. I'm not calling it either. I'm still going to call it Heinz Field. Uh, Let's get to our second two-a-day of the day. It's the Seattle Seahawks. Mike Salk, host of the Mike Salk Show on Seattle Sports Station, is with us. Uh, Mike, who's going to start at quarterback for this team? Well, that's a good question. I was worried you were going to ask me what Lumen was for Lumen Field, because I definitely don't know what they are. It's very important work. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Severance, but unfortunately that's going to have a whole different meaning for Lumen Field at this point. I was, uh, yeah, I don't know what Acrisure is either. And I definitely <laughs> don't know who's going to start a quarterback for the Seahawks. Um, if it were me well, and I was time. in charge. It w- no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it would have been Baker Mayfield if I were in charge. And once that ship sailed, it would now be Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but, you know, that's a, a really complicated situation. Is San Francisco going to cut him? They don't want to because they don't want him to go to Seattle. Are they going to trade him? Well, nobody seems to want them except maybe Seattle, and they don't want to trade them in the division, but maybe they will because it's the only way to get anything back for them. So I, I would go that route because I think they actually have a decent team that could be a playoff contender with a decent quarterback. And say what you want about Garoppolo. He's not perfect. He's not the long-term option, but he's been to, what, two NFC championship games and a Super Bowl in the last few years. I mean, you know, that's certainly significantly better than Drew Locke, who lost out on a quarterback battle to Teddy Bridgewater. And Geno Smith, who's known mostly around the country for punching his team or getting punched by his teammate. So, I mean, I would not go with either of those two guys. I know there are people who believe the Seahawks should in order to, you know, tank the season essentially and, and hope for one of the three better quarterbacks coming out next year. But that's not Pete Carroll. He, he you know, compete every day, win forever, all the things that Pete says and, and really has tried to build up as a culture I don't think you can preach those things while attempting to tank. So if I'm him, I'm going to do everything in my power to go get Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to believe, Mike, that the Seahawks have enough draft capital over the next couple of years that in next year's draft they could move up if they wanted to to try and get a top quarterback. So 
if you're Pete Carroll, how patient do you have to be? Do you have to look at next year's draft when you're analyzing what you want to do this year at quarterback? You can. Uh, you know, look, I am definitely a believer in the whole, you know, you never want to be in the middle. You either want to be at the bottom or you want to be at the top. And I'm definitely not a, you know, I, I, you never want the wrong franchise quarterback. That's worse than having nobody. But the NFL is a year-to-year league. You don't know, you know, I remember when Matt Barkley was the guy everybody was going to tank for. I mean, we've kind of seen that before. And sometimes it works out like Andrew Luck and others. And sometimes it evaporates. If I'm them, you got to play to win. And I would also suggest that even if they try to tank with their current roster, I don't know that they're bad enough to do that. I mean, they made the decision to re-sign uh, Quandre Diggs. They haven't traded DK Metcalf, which tells me that they're going to sign him to some sort of an extension. If you were going to tank, you got to tank. And, I, I'm, and they just haven't done that. So once you've made that decision, you might as well go for it and try to win. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Mike Salk, host of the Mike Salk Show on Seattle Sports Station. Talking Seahawks, part of our two-a-days today. Can you tank if Pete Carroll is your coach? No. I mean, I just don't think Pete's capable of it, honestly. It's just his whole plan involved. What Pete's great at is culture, right? He's completely changed the culture of the Seattle Seahawks. And I think the moment you attempt to go against your own culture, your own wisdom, your own philosophy, I think, you know, look, Pete's not the greatest X's and O's coach. I'm not saying he's a bad one. I'm not one of these people who thinks Pete's an old fuddy-duddy. But the strength of Pete's game is his culture building, is his, you know, people skills. I think the moment you tank, you, you, you've essentially X'd out your biggest strength. How much longer does Pete Carroll coach? Well, don't ask Pete that. He'll be like, for, I mean, 10 years? I mean, he doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, and I'll tell you, look, I interview Pete every week during the season. When you are in front of him, I know whatever the age says, you throw it out. He looks better in whatever he's wearing than I do, and that's not saying much. But <laughs> he, he, he just he, he's so youthful that it's really hard for me to imagine he feels like he's a year or two away from hanging it up. So, yeah, there's some level of – urgency i think i don't think he's got the patience to go through a five-year rebuild but this is the nfl not major league baseball you don't need to go through a five-year rebuild you can be back where you want to be in a year or two yeah this is a very tom brady of coaching uh is pete carroll where it's like always like he's getting older and everyone's like doesn't seem to matter uh we're we're talking about the seahawks and uh, there are so many questions what are some of the positives where do you see a position or a phase of the team that you think will be excellent or good at least? Well, they have some really good skill position options on offense. I mean, obviously DK Metcalf uh, is as good as virtually any other receiver in the league. Um, And Tyler Lockett is probably the most underrated wide receiver in the league and still a really good player in his own right. You add Noah Fant who, you know, I haven't seen a ton of, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a baby Jimmy Graham. Um, and then obviously, you know, their run game is, is Pete's bread and butter and Rashad Penny when healthy, I think is as good as maybe not any running back in the league, but probably any other than the top couple of guys. You saw what he did in the last six weeks of last season when he was healthy, he, he was the best running back in the league for that stretch. And then they went out and drafted Ken Walker. So, you know, they have some skill position guys offensively. If a young offensive line can come together and they have anybody to throw the ball, 
they could have some success offensively. And then on defense, you know, we'll see what, what their what their front seven looks like. They've obviously made some changes. I, I hate to say this out loud because Bobby Wagner is one of the all-time great Seahawks and one of the all-time great people I've ever been around. But I think there will be some level of addition by subtraction there. Um, they will absolutely miss his leadership, his communication, his football brains. But if you watched Bobby closely the last few years, I don't think he was making the same amount of big splash plays that he was famous for. So, you know, they're going to try some changes defensively. They brought in some new coaches. There's an idea that Ken Norton Jr., who was their defensive coordinator, was not as uh, interested in reforming and modernizing their approach. We'll see whether their new group with Clint Hurt and Sean Desai is able to do that. Mike, before we get out, I know we got to get a prediction, but real quick, you mentioned Kenneth Walker the third. I love this kid. How's the running back position play out to you? Well, I mean, the first question there is what happens with Chris Carson, right? I mean, he's kind of been their nominal starter, but he's got a neck issue, and we're a little gun shy here in Seattle after you know both Cliff Averill and uh, Cam Chancellor ended their careers with. I don't know if they're similar neck issues because I'm obviously not a doctor but neck issues themselves in the last couple of years. Assuming he's not able to go, I think they give Rashad Penny every shot at being their, their you know primary workhorse kind of guy. But the dude's been injured every single season of his career. So you'll definitely see some Ken Walker. And look, you know as well as I do, that's the one position where you can come in as a rookie and there shouldn't be too much of a learning curve, especially with his speed and sort of his breakaway potential. Man, I'm excited about it, too. I know running backs don't matter anymore, right? We hear about it all the time. And I feel like that's sort of a bastardization of the, of the point. Most running backs don't matter. But if you've got Derrick Henry, it matters, right? If you've got one of the best guys in the league, it does matter. And when you're Pete Carroll and you run the ball as much as he wants to, it matters. So I'm I'm actually kind of I kind of like what they've done in that in that part of the game. Wouldn't it be just hilarious if all season long whoever their quarterback is they just let him cook? It's just no run game, air it out, give him free reign to do whatever he wants. Just let Russ watch from afar. Uh, Mike, thank you for the insight that you did have. We'll all be waiting to see if Jimmy G is the guy or if we're gonna get Drew Locke or or, or Gino. Thanks for the time. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. See you guys. Mike Salk, host of the Mike Salk Show on Seattle Sports Station. We did put up some questions for you, including how many regular season wins the Seahawks will have, Broncos, how long Pete Carroll will be around, who's going to start for him, all of that stuff. We'll get to it next, but first, the road to the rematch is on. As Bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter, stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. All of your responses and more next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Dinks. Sarah Spain, Jason Dinks Fitz <laughs> on ESPN Radio, ESPN app. That might be my favorite nickname I've ever had. Like I feel I've like given that... you a lot, mostly by mistakes, where I was mistake, where I just misspeak, like Fritz, Fats, Dits. I get Fritz a lot. Like some of the fine bomb callers earlier this week yeah. kept calling me Fritz over and over again, and I'm like, yeah. I can't be any clearer on this. But you're you're Dinks. Dunks. Dinks and, and I'm dunks. Dinks, but <laughs> but it's always Dink and Dunks. Does that mean my name gets to go first? Woo! Move it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it does, unfortunately. And I forget dinks the name of Spain. that, but there's a actual 
like reason in language why eyes go before use. Um, it's why you say pitter patter. I don't Anytime think that's proper English. A, eyes go before use. It's. I'm, I'm, I'm playing. I'm, 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 um, I'm imagining this. Like, hey, eyes go before use when we walk into the the restaurant. Right, right, right. Okay. No, I, I got that. It's called okay. ablot reduplication. Oh god. And it's why we say things like flip flop instead of flop flip or pitter patter instead of. It's the shape that your mouth makes when you make the vowels. Anyway, it's a conversation for another time. You could Google ablot Is it? I mean, I think we could just do it now. <laughs> if you want to learn more about it. But yes, it would then be dinks and dunks, and you would be first, which is why we will not be changing the name of the show. I must Everybody just be Google I'm not Jubilation. That's the only reason we're not changing the name? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for, a number, right for a number of reasons. Uh, my New friend poster and I, in the hallway. My friend and I also have a nicknames for each other called Stubs and Tingers because my toes are long like fingers, so I'm Tingers and she's Stubs because she's short and all of her toes and fingers are really short. Uh, so oh. Stubs and Tingers, Dinks and Dunks, I've got all sorts of uh, unique nicknames that, that uh, to work with over here. None are as good as Acrisure. None of them are as good as Jason <laughs> Fats uh, or Acrisure or Accusure with a silent R. We are Acrisure. For that matter. Um, we're going to get into the rest of the QB list we started earlier, but quickly, we asked y'all a lot of questions. We made you provide the content today, and we thank you for doing so. Let's get to some of the things we asked. Seahawks, how many regular season games will they win? 20% said 0 to 3. 64.9% mm. said 4 to 6. 13.4% said 7 to 9. And 1.8% who must be related to Seahawks players since said 10 plus wins for the Seahawks. Meanwhile, a lot of questions about personnel and coaching. Who will win the starting QB gig? 44.2% said Drew Locke. 23.9% said Geno Smith. 31.7% said someone else. Is it Jimmy G? Is it Baker Mayfield? Is it uh, another person who's traded or acquired? Seems like a lot of folks believe that that is not set in stone yet. We also asked how many more seasons will Pete Carroll coach in Seattle. I was hosting a show while typing, and I meant to put the first option as not last till the end of this season or only through the end of this season. I forgot. So my apologies for not giving you a shorter answer, but 69.9% nice said through the end of 23-24. Nice. 17.2% said through the end of 24-25. And 12.9% said three years or more. We also asked about the Broncos. How many regular season games will the Broncos win? 6% said 0 to 4. 27% said 5 to 7. 52% said 8 to 10. And about 15% said 11 plus wins. You think people got these right for the most part? Well, look, no, on the Broncos one, hammer the under. I mean, uh, I don't think they're 0 to 4, but I just don't see them winning double digits. I, I, it's going to be hard for any team in the AFC West, including yeah. my beloved Raiders, to win double digit games. The schedule is just too brutal this year for most of them, and they're all going to be playing great teams. I, I, I would love to think, I think all four teams in the AFC West will be capable of representing themselves well in the playoffs. I just don't know if they can all pick up enough wins in a wild AFC to actually make it. So I'm a little surprised people are as high on the Broncos. And, and I think it takes a lot of benefit of the doubt that that mm -hmm. offensive line is going to be fine. Every team in the yeah. West, it feels like, has offensive line issues. So I, I'm, I'm not as confident at all in Denver as they are. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, a.k.a. Dinks and Dunks. We also asked you in honor of Heinz Field becoming Akrasher. We are Akrasher. What are some of the worst rebrands or renames in sports, music, humans, or products? We got some good answers. Uh, obviously, New Coke. New Coke and Crystal Pepsi led the way. We got a whole lot of those. 
Um, Pink Floyd played their first shows as the tea set. That is something oh, I, I did not know, know. And I am a massive Pink Floyd fan. The tea set. Um, also bad indie band called Women named themselves Viet Cong after their singer died, then had to change their name to Preoccupations. Those are all terrible. Uh, uh, Chris the, Gaines. We did get a couple. Yeah, the Chris Gaines Chris thing Gaines, is interesting to me. When, like, uh, that, that, for those who don't know, is Garth Brooks trying to rebrand for a certain kind of music and go under the radar as Chris Gaines. But the crazy part about that is the Chris Gaines record was actually pretty good. Like it had really? some pretty good songs on it. There's one. Uh, there's one song that's great on it. It's, it's not a bad record. It's just it was such a stupid idea. If he just put that out as a Garth Brooks record, I think he'd done really well. Absolutely. For uh, somebody says that Burger King had something called Satisfries. <laughs> uh, I'm and looking that Colgate, that up now. Colgate tried to make frozen food. No, I'm not buying your toothpaste food. Wait, uh, like you need the to toothpaste just, company? You need to just have a different name for whatever brand is trying to release frozen food. Wait, hold on. Mint chocolate chip? That, that, I mean, no, it works. No, no. Still no. Absolutely not. Nope. Um, okay, it looks like Satis Fries were kind of like those wow chip things, that, like a special oil that oh, probably had a less cholesterol. calories. Yeah, and, and like uh, if you had a couple, yeah. you were fine, but if you had a whole thing full, you were on the toilet all night. Yeah, which says yeah, something about my insides, that I could eat those chips all day and not have that any problems. That is very, very I, bad. Just, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Miller Park t- turning into American Family Field. Uh, oh, Meta World terrible. Peace. Meta World Peace was an interesting <laughs> choice. Ocho Cinco, not a good, not a good name. Uh, I did not know this, but someone is telling me the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, which is for all the Tostitos, turned into the Battle Frog Fiesta Bowl. I oh don't God, know what Battle know Frog is, but Tostitos is one of the only ones I knew because of the whole "this one's for all the Tostitos." <laughs> Wow, I had no idea. Apparently, uh, we got some votes called... for uh, P Diddy also, by the way, yes. which is well, like he's changed it a number of times. Right, that's the thing. Like, I have a hard time with that. Like, it was difficult when it be, Prince went from Prince to the artist formerly yeah. known as Prince because he was just a symbol. But that at least had like Prince was suing his record label and couldn't use his name. I thought that was actually kind of smart by him. P Diddy just being like, you know, fifty-two Off. different names. I'm, yeah, out. I'm, exactly. out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Uh, there's apparently somewhere called Power Balance Pavilion in Sacramento. Uh, Enron Field, not good. Crypto.com Arena, not great. Uh, <laughs> also, the Cell was a great nickname for U.S. Cellular for the White Sox. They changed it to Guaranteed Rate Field. Um, the only nickname I've heard is the G Spot, which is unfortunate. Um, Yeezus, not a good name, not great. Yeah, um, there's a bunch of them. Uh, also, someone said, talk to your doctor to see if Acrisure is right for you, which is too bad. <laughs> Because um, that is exactly what it sounds like. We it's are Acrisure. That also sounds like an ad for, you know, uh, side effects may include. Um, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, thank you for the content you provided. We are running out of time to good take, hot take, the end of this list. But Russell Wilson, who was on one of our two-a-day teams today, was at eight. Deshaun Watson at nine and Dak Prescott at ten. Deshaun is the one that weirds me out. If this is supposed to be a list for who's best right now, he's probably not playing this year. What are we doing? Yeah, and even with the even if he does play part of the season, he will have had a very long layoff. You want to put yeah. Deshaun with no idea what he looks like, and the last time he was on the field, the team was four and twelve. And you're going to tell me that he's going to have a better year this year than Lamar Jackson? I have a hard right. time finding if that. If I'm Lamar, that's the one that that gets my goat the most. I mean, Dak as well for the mistakes and the and the mental errors. But come on, man, you're putting Deshaun above Lamar, a former MVP, when he hasn't played in two seasons. This and won't be playing that that's that's rough. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.